we make that our prayer today, oh God? If that's your prayer and if you've got a hungry heart, would you just lift up your hands just in a receiving position? There's no magic. There's nothing that's going to fall into your hands right now, but there's something that could fall into your spirit by the spirit of God. There's peace available in his presence. There's rest in your busy season. There is comfort in the midst of your loss or your chaos. Father, today we receive whatever it is you have for us, oh God. Lord, we thank you that the prayer that is written in scripture that says he must increase and I must decrease, we pray that in this song today that, Lord, you would give us more and help us to clean up the space of our life to make you our primary and only focus. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen. Would you turn and hug somebody, shake a hand, welcome them as you're seated this morning in the presence of God. What an awesome time it is to be together. Amen. If you're not familiar or you don't know, I'm a pretty practical guy. And so I like to, and I really felt this from the Holy Spirit at the beginning of this year. I really felt that the Holy Spirit was leading me in the direction of making sure that every message series that we preach this year would have a practical life application. We can't just assume that people know how to pray. We can't assume people know how to not gossip. We can't assume people know how to be nice. We can't assume anything. We really need that structure in our life of practicality of how to approach whatever it is. So our faith is not a feeling. Our faith really is our allegiance. It's our willing obedience to follow Christ, to follow the one who created us, to follow the one who called us out of darkness and into what the Bible says is his marvelous light. It's our obedience that causes us to understand that we need more of him and less of us. He's chosen us for a purpose and put us here together for a reason. So we need to be reminded of the how-tos from time to time, and we can never assume that we've made it or arrived. I said this recently, and I'm not sure if it was here or somewhere else, but I said this recently, and that is everybody needs to take the next step. Billy Graham, at the ripe age that he is of 90, I think, 90 plus probably at this point, still has a step he can take in his journey of faith and in his understanding of who God is. And you say, well, he's accomplished so much. Yes, but he still could go in another dimension. And so can we. So we've got to have that approach when we talk about things like prayer. You might have been to prayer meetings before or things like that, and you think, no, I got this. Or you might have done, how many of you have ever been in a circle holding hands? You guys done that? before, okay, and you had to hold hands, and maybe you were taking turns, and you had to squeeze the person's hand next to you to get the prayer chain to go along, you know? Some of you might be a little bit nervous when it comes to praying. Some of you might think, oh, I can't do that. I can't pray out loud. I cannot speak to God out loud in front of people. You might have that sort of approach, too, but here's what it really is, and we'll talk about it throughout this whole series. Prayer is a two-way conversation, It's a conversation where God listens to us and speaks to us. And it's where we should not just speak to him, but we should listen. Some of the most fruitful 
beneficial conversations in my marriage have happened when we've both slowed down long enough to look at each other, spend time with each other, and think through exactly what he or she is saying. Not trying to figure out how to defend ourselves or think other things, or I got my calendar in my head, I've got these other details in my mind, but just hearing her, letting her speak, then letting her give me the opportunity to do that, that's how we're building relationships. So it's really that simple. That's what prayer is. A few weeks ago, I was um, whipping up something called a brownie cookie in the kitchen. Have you guys ever had one of those, a brownie cookie? They're of God, okay? Can I just say that for the, for, for the benefit of everyone who's here? Um, but in, in my mind, I was busy with a lot of different things in my head while I was doing that. And you say, Pastor, you bake? Eh, I get a hankering every once in a while. I'd much rather cook, okay? I cook good pasta dishes and seafood and chicken and whatever. But every once in a while, I bake. And it's always like the cheap stuff. You know, I just grab a box and I follow the instructions, throw it in. Amy, however, she can make decadent, amazing baked goods, you know, like recipes handed down from grandmother and all that kind of stuff. Me, I'm like, tell me what's on the box. So anyway, so I'm in the kitchen a couple weeks back. I'm making some brownie cookies, which are delicious and amazing. And I was busy in my mind with a lot of things. Um, kids are running around. We live in a two-bedroom, a small place. Kids are running around. I hear all these noises. I probably, if I remember right, I had headphones or earphones in. It was one of those things with lots of stuff happening around me. I had the box with the instructions in front of me. I set the oven to preheat. I started to mix the ingredients. You've done this kind of thing before, but then I noticed that something didn't look right with the batter. I knew there was something wrong. It's not my first rodeo or my first bake show, okay? My first baking contest. And so I, I realized, wait a second, it's like, this is clumpy, it's weird, there's something, it's not all incorporated. I don't, something's wrong. It doesn't feel right in my hand. It doesn't look right. But I then stopped and I thought to myself, you know, I need to just focus. And it, sometimes it helps you to read out loud, <laughs> you know? I'm just that guy. And I'm like, okay, wait, so stick of butter, three sticks of butter? Oh, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, this, you know, whatever it is, and I'm looking through and I'm like, oh, the eggs. I forgot the eggs. Now, eggs are important, okay, if you've ever baked something. So I think to myself, you know, a simple mistake like that, I could have ended up throwing out that whole batch of cookie brownies um, in the garbage. But what I did in that moment was I recalibrated. I stopped long enough and I prayed, Lord, please help these things turn out right. Because I had mixed them already. And if you know anything about stirring things, if you stir it too long, there are bad things that happen and I didn't have the eggs in. And I'm just, I'm like, you know, Jesus, if you just make these turn out really good, multiply them, Lord, you know, I'm doing one of those numbers, but I cracked the eggs and I throw them in. I course corrected and I got that missing ingredient into the bowl. They turned out awesome and everybody enjoyed them. So how many of you, raise your hand, you said you've had one before, okay? How many of you have never had one before? Raise your hand. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, it sounds enticing, doesn't it? I think church ought to be fun. So I made another batch, okay? And I figured, like, we could have fun in church today. I wanted to pull, like, an Oprah Winfrey where you could reach under your seat and everybody, and you get a brownie cookie, and you get a brownie cookie, and it's okay. You can even taste it right now in church. I would be okay with that. People in the back are going, don't forget me, okay? 
But church ought to be fun. Come on, somebody, right? Church ought to be fun. We are not the stuffy type around here, so go ahead and take a bite if you want to. Sorry I don't have any milk, but you may excuse yourself to go get a cup of coffee if you want to. Um, it's, um, this is not a common occurrence if this is your first time with us, okay? I don't give out treats like that, but hey, listen, it works. The incentive works. That sugar rush might just keep you awake, okay? So as, as all things must come to I hear so much crinkling, it's wonderful. I just love it. You're having a little treat in church. When I teach my eighth through 12th grade classes, I throw out candy. And sometimes I hit heads, like maybe on purpose, uh, take that away. But I, I do. I throw out candy when they get an answer right and things like that. So I gave you the treat before you get the answer right, but hopefully you'll just listen. Um, as your pastor, though, I want to tell you something that I think is really important because I need to confess to you something that I've been guilty of. I've been guilty of not incorporating enough of one of the major ingredients in the spiritual life of our church. It has to do with the development of our church and the, the, the ministry that involves in our church. The truth is we haven't incorporated it enough. The truth is we've gotten busy doing good things and right things, but this new season that we're coming into is a season that's going to require us to really pursue God and I believe for all future seasons to pursue him through prayer. And we can't afford to have this be a missing ingredient. I see heads nodding. Are you enjoying that? Is that good? That's good stuff, right? Okay, good. But I wanna say something to you this morning with prophetic clarity. I believe we as a church will not survive the next season God is bringing us into if we do not focus ourselves in prayer, if we are not a praying church. And I say that to say, I apologize. It's not that we've sidelined it on purpose or had a lack of faith and said, oh, let's not talk about it. It's just, we haven't figured it out. And so in all of the seasons that we've been through in the last four years as a church, we've come to the place where we recognize the next season that's coming needs us to all be people of prayer. So I take responsibility for that lack of prayer. Um, and I have decided and determined that now is the time for us to move forward in the aspect of prayer. So I've repented before the Lord. I've humbly bowed to him and said, Lord, please forgive me for missing this ingredient and for not using enough of it, okay? For not putting enough of it in our life. And truly, I can say to you, I don't think there's such a thing as too much. There really isn't. I don't think any of us have to have that risk in our head. Oh, I think I'm praying too much now. I don't think that's a real, actual possibility, okay? But James chapter 5, verse 16 says something incredible. It's, it's not on the screen or anything, but I, I want to share it to you from my heart. It says, confess your sin one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, Notice there, it doesn't say confess your sin to God. 
It actually says, confess your faults and your sins one to another, and then you pray for one another and you receive healing, not just from the person that you may have wronged or sinned against, but God himself will heal and bring deliverance and power. So this is a recalibrating moment in the life of our church. It's a moment for us to take a course correction, to give us some clarity to realize that something's not right, but it's not hopeless. We haven't put it in the oven just yet. We still have time to fix it before it goes in. I know this to be true with all of my heart. If we can do this now, God is going to do more incredible things in the life of this church than we could ever imagine or think if we could make this small tweak in the right direction. So the rally cry of every believer ought to be pray first. Okay, I've got a little bracelet on. Um, they give them away at, you know, you can go for a 5K or you can support somebody who's going through cancer treatment and you get these little silicone rubber bracelets. I've been wearing this the last month and a half, two months now, and it literally just says two words on it. It says, pray first. It's my reminder that I ought to pray first. I ought not to complain first. Come on, somebody. I ought to pray first. I ought not to be angry first. I ought to pray first. And so the rally cry of our church needs to be, we're going to pray first. I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to pray and ask God, what opinion should I have, Jesus? I want him to be the Lord and the supreme master over every detail of my life. So if, you, if you're not familiar, that term rally cry would be a phrase that encourages people to unite when I was a kid, the rally cry in our home was dinner <laughs> and everybody came running like we knew it was time to eat. The same thing is true and should be true of our church that right now in this season and from here on forth or here on out that we use the rally cry of pray first. So here's what you do before you start your day, while you're in your bed, before you check your phone, sit up and start your day with prayer. And I'm not talking about 35 minutes of intercession for the countries around the world. I'm talking literally about, literally two sentences worth that just says, Lord, I'm giving you this day before my feet touch this ground, I need your help. I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you're gonna lead me today. And get up and please go brush your teeth, okay? <laughs> You know, when, whenever the kids are going to run out the door, whenever they're going to head out the door, grab them quickly and say, let me pray over you. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would touch my kids today. Help them to be leaders and not followers. Help them to be lights in the darkness. We pray that over our kids who attend a Christian school because we know everybody who goes to a Christian school is not a Christian. Everybody who comes to a Christian church is not yet a Christian. So, and every Christian don't act right. That wasn't loud enough. Every Christian don't act right. I know it's not awesome grammar, but listen, there are people who just don't know how to act right yet. We're all works in progress. We don't use that as a cop-out. We use it as a motivation. Okay, so when we say that, I, you know, for the business individual, the person who's going to take an appointment, pray first. It's okay. You could pray this prayer. God, I pray that you'd help me not strangle this person in this meeting. 
Lord, I just pray. Or maybe you're selling something or pitching something to a client. God, I just pray that you'd let them have their eyes open. Lord, I pray you'd help them to say yes to this opportunity so I could tithe and give more to you. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, pray first. Here's something that hits every cylinder. Before you send that email, nah, just send it. Just go ahead and send it. No, you ought to think about it and pray first. Before you post on Facebook for the world to read about what you think about the toilet paper your husband bought that was the wrong brand, pray. Because maybe the world doesn't need to have that. Maybe they need a shining example of Christ. Before you go gossiping or hating on somebody else or, or using that platform, before you send that text, pray, Lord, help me. I gotta pray. I have to pray because I am a salty individual by nature. And I'm like, Lord, can you give me some sugar on this, Lord? Let's put a little sugar on this. And you know what I hear him whisper back to me? I'm not going to do that. You can Delete, delete, delete. Okay, let me think about this again. What should I say in response? I ought to pray first. So say it with me, church. Pray first. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 say this. Some short phrases. Rejoice always, pray without stopping or without ceasing, and give thanks in all. Somebody say all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now hear me, I'm going to break this down for you for just a moment. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. It matters how you read the Bible. So I want to make sure you've read this correctly. It is every circumstance you face in your life is not of God. It's not God's fault. Some of it is because you stupid, okay? You just made the bad decision, right? I've done it too, okay? Some of that is not God's fault. What it's saying there is give thanks in all circumstances. Whatever hardship you find yourself in, whatever joy you're experiencing, take time and give thanks because that's what God's will for you is, that you would rejoice, that you would pray, and that you would always give thanks. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. We've got to stop letting action be our first response and stop letting prayer be our last resort and flip those things around. So go with me in your Bibles if you want to. We'll have the verse here on the screen in just a moment. But the title of today's message is Teach Us to Pray. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. It's an interesting passage. We're just going to read the portion of the first verse of this scripture. And it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. The finish of that statement says, as John taught his disciples, but you got to hear me. I want to give you the context because the context helps clue you in. The 72, there's a group of people who've been sent out in the previous passage. They've been sent out. They've cast out demons. They've healed people. They've done a number of things all with the power of God. Demons have fleed. Sickness has healed. All of that is good and fine. And they show back up and Jesus is in a quiet place and he's praying. And they are, most of them, almost all of the disciples were Jews by heritage and blood, 
okay? So they would have grown up knowing prayers to be prayed. They would have prayed prayers like the psalmist prayed because that's what they would have spoken about in the temple. That's the things that would have been happening for them in their situation. So they would have known words to say, but when they got eyes of Jesus, knelt down praying, being where he was, one of them had the wisdom to say, oh, I wish I could pray like that. Jesus, would you teach us how to pray like, like that? Because we just did awesome things, but I, I want to know how to have a connection with the Father like you have a connection with the Father. So in both places, we're, we're going to go back to Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 if you want to go there on your device or in your paper Bible. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read the Lord's Prayer. What's been said about the Lord's Prayer, some of it gets a bad rap. How many of you could say it by heart? I'm not going to test you, but yeah, most of us have heard it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We've got it down. Here's the deal. Jesus did not say, pray this prayer. He said, pray like this. He was giving them a model. It's okay if you pray that prayer every day. God bless you. I'm glad that you are praying that prayer. But he's giving you a model. He's giving us a model. And I want to break that down today. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, it says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I want to take this phrase by phrase, and I want to give you something that you can literally just take home with you, something so simple that you can understand. The first phrase that says, our Father in heaven... It's for us to connect with God relationally. I, don't, I haven't had much experience with the older age group children in my own home yet. They're growing quickly, but they're still young enough that they come, crawl up in my lap, and just stare. They just stare at my face. Sometimes they pet my beard. It's a little bit weird, you know, things like that. Um, but they just, hi, Daddy, how was your day? You know, and Madeline used to say, because when she couldn't pronounce things correctly, she would say, how your day? And it was just the cutest thing. And I would just love on them, hug on them, hold them. I would just connect with them relationally. One day will come, and some of you have already seen that day, when it's, hey, Dad, I'm going out. Grab the keys and run. That's, I remember those days as a kid, teenager, growing into that place. But there's this magic moment of connection where when we can just stop long enough to connect relationally, we can benefit from that. So Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says this. It's a, it's a wonderful verse of scripture that communicates this really well. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of slaves to fall back in fear. Listen to me, church. If you are following God and you are acting like a slave and you're living in fear, you don't know the God I know. Okay, this verse of scripture says very clearly, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as children, let's say children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That term, Abba, Father, which is there, is a term of endearment and affection. 
So the wording for us to understand is that we've received the spirit of adoption. I wasn't his kid, but he chose me anyway. And he gives me what I need and more than what I need. He does all of those things. Maybe not in my time, but maybe in his, okay? He does all of those things. He reaches my emotional need. He supplies everything I need. It comes from him. So when I come to him, I can't just run to him with my grocery list. I got to get in his face, sit on his lap, as weird as that might sound for some of us, and just spend time in his presence. The next phrase is, hallowed be your name. So this is where we take a moment and we worship his name. Do you know his name is not just God? (laughs) He goes by other names in scripture, the most high God, the one above all, There are Jewish terms, or Jewish, uh, I would say Hebrew, phrases for the terms of God, and there are different ways that they ascribe glory and honor to him. He is the God who provides. He is the God who sees. He is the, man, I'm telling you what, he's the God who knows all. So when I take a moment in my day and I say, Lord, I worship your name. I worship the name of Jesus, which you said in your word is high above any other name. I worship you because I know that everything is under your control. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, it says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous can run into it and they're safe. The name of God is like a tower of strength to you and to I. So we ought to depend on that. The next thing to look at is, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray his agenda first. That's what you ought to do. Don't show up whining and complaining. (laughs) I'm sorry, it sounds salty, but I'm trying to drive the point home. Would you shut up with your yapping when you come into God's presence Spend a moment connecting with him. Talk about what he wants first. And then you can talk about what you want. It's the same thing with my kids. Madeline comes running in the kitchen. Brighton comes running into the kitchen. And when they come in there, I've already, I know what's going on. And I literally just hand them whatever. It's not been requested of me. And I keep saying this to them. Daddy knew that you needed this. And I hand it. Oh, how did you know? They They don't know I'm that perceptive, okay? And I'm... I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but God certainly is. He knows what you need and he wants you to pray his agenda first. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done as earth as it is on he- in heaven, we've got to understand this principle. Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says this, and we use this in our financial series and when we talk about building God's kingdom, it says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The previous verses there talk about people wanting to know, is God, does God know? know what I need today? People worrying about what to wear. I know some of y'all ladies worry about that, okay? Some, what am I going to eat? Some of you hungry fellas are like, when am I going to get fed again? In these moments, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says this, y'all stop. Stop talking about that stuff. Seek first my kingdom, God's kingdom, and all this other stuff will fall into place. 
I've seen it. I'm telling you, I've seen it. So we've got to pray that his kingdom come, his will be done. There's a phrase, if you back up to that last slide, when he says, on earth as it is in heaven. I believe this from the pit of my spirit, according to the word of God, scripture is true, that there is an overarching timeline in human history that is above us. It's in heaven. And so when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I want God's best. I want his best in my life, in my relationship, in my choice, in my finance, in my career. I want his best. So God, give me your best. Stop praying for you to get your way. That's not what this is about. Number four, depend on him for everything. The Bible says that phrase is there, give us this day our daily bread. I began to think about the significance of Jesus having said this. Now, let me tell you something pretty awesome. In the tabernacle, in the Old Testament, there was a table of bread that was set out. It represented the tribes. There was one loaf from every tribe as an offering before the presence of God. Jesus says to his people that he's living with more than a thousand years later, he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat from me, if you partake and participate of me, you'll never go hungry again. I've got to come to him knowing that he's the God who supplied manna in the desert when there was no ability for bread to fall out of the sky. There's still no ability for bread to fall out of the sky by human control or anything that we could see in nature. But God, by his divine power, knew what was needed and supplied what was needed. And this is one of the most important aspects. We've got to be able to depend on him for everything. Now, let me just straighten you out and make sure you understand. You don't have to stand at the fridge and intercede. Lord, I'm, I'm stuck. I've got orange juice. I've got my wife's orange juice. I don't know what that stuff is. I got V8 in front of me and milk. Lord, what should I choose? That would be silly. But when we say go to him for everything or depend on him for everything, we're saying for everything that matters in our life, which is a whole lot more, it's everything but milk and orange juice, okay? It's all the other stuff that we're to depend on him. It says this in Psalm 121, verse one and two. I look to the mountains. This is where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He created it. He can fix it. He can supply it. He can bring it. He can give it in ways you never thought he would. I've seen him do it in my own life. It gives me hope and faith. Number five is this. Get your heart right with God and with people. This phrase, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors, is really important. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here's something funny that I've heard recently, and I'll say it to you. You've got to learn to forgive everybody who's trying to ruin your life. Because that sometimes is the perspective that we have. That, oh, they're, yeah, they're just out to get me. No, he's just trying to, no, he's, 
You've got to stand in the place of forgiving. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? This person is dead, passed away. This person is this, far away. This person is fill in the blank. Here's what you do. Forgive anyway. And you don't have to call on the phone and say, hey, guess what? You big fat jerk. I hate you, but I forgive you in the name of Jesus. No, that's not how you approach forgiveness. It's in prayer before the Lord that I'm confessing my sin and I'm saying, God, would you forgive me? And he reminds me so sweetly, you haven't forgiven so-and-so. You need to forgive them. When I've turned my heart to him and I hear him say those words to me, I forgive and then the Bible says it's reciprocal. God forgives me. Jesus has strong words and even says, if you don't forgive them, you won't receive my forgiveness. That's something to chew on for quite some time. But I'm telling you, don't wait. Do it today. And can I say this last thing about forgiveness? Keep on forgiving. You've got to do it. I've told story after story about my previous place in ministry, but I'm telling you to this day, when I see a certain make and a model of a truck, I have to immediately turn my heart to God. And I say, God, Lord, again, I release that person. I've forgiven them as Lord, and you've forgiven me. Father, I pray that you'd help me to, Lord, in fact, would you just bless them today with the knowledge of your presence? Would you, would you drive home whatever your will is for them in their life? Would you do a work powerfully in that person? It's taken me five years to get to that place, and there are still times I would like to tell him, hey, could you just hold on a second? You know, and get angry and, and frustrated, but I have to keep on doing it. You gotta keep on forgiving. Okay, number six, and worship team, you can come join us and get ready because we're gonna close it with a time of prayer. Number six is this, ready yourself for war. Here's the deal. God is not going to lead you into temptation. Jesus' words in this passage are for us to be confident that he is not the one who's going to lead us into temptation, but he's the one who's going to deliver us from the evil one. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says this, excuse me, for we do not wrestle against our husband or our wife. We do not wrestle against that school principal or that teacher. We do not wrestle against our boss. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, what does it say? The rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that's not saying that evil is dwelling in heaven. What it's saying is there are things going on that you can't see, and the devil's trying to throw you off your game. Look right here. The devil is trying to throw you off your game by tempting you with bitterness, with unforgiveness, with anger, uncontrolled, with temptation and lust, with all of those things. There's a real enemy out there who is looking to defeat every believer. We've said it for a long time and we'll keep on saying it, that the enemy of God is the enemy of his people. And so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against spiritual forces. And I love what David says. He says something incredible in scripture. He says, you've trained my hands for war. 
He's praising God that he's been given the tools to be able to defeat the enemy. You and I have been given the tools to defeat the enemy wherever he lies. And let me say this, the Bible says, it does not say that God won't give you more than you can handle because every page is filled with people who received more than they could handle. But what it does say, it says he won't allow you to be tempted without giving you a way of escape. Stand to your feet today. This last one is important. It's that we are to be confident in God's ability. We've said this in our church and we continue to make this our our rally cry. We ought to pray like it depends on him and act like it depends on us. We ought to work like it depends on us. And here's the thing, and I've confessed that to you at the beginning of this message. I'm guilty of working like it depends on me and never remembering at certain times to pray like it depends on him. And it's in these moments that we we face in our life, whether they're good moments or whether they're valleys of decision, whatever they are, we've got to be confident in his ability. For yours is the kingdom. I'm fighting for you. I'm on your side. It's all for your glory. It's all for your power. Father, you've put this person in my life, this coworker, this issue, this whatever, you've allowed it to happen, this professor, (laughs) whatever it is, you've allowed it to happen. But God, I'm going to overcome and I'm not gonna do it in my own strength. You're gonna give me the ability. It's your ability. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this, and this is the way Jesus is helping them model the close of the prayer. Modeling this, it says, Sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult or hard for you. So that's what we declare. It's so simple to just take those phrases in the Lord's Prayer and understand that that right And listen, and you don't have to have it all in the right. Oh, wait, I forgot I needed to do this part. God's not up there with a hammer ready to hit you with it. He just wants you. You sang earlier, you just want him. And I declare by the Spirit of God today to every person who hears this message, he just wants you. And he'll take you with all your junk. He'll take you with all your problems. In fact, we will too because we believe that we're works in progress all seeking the same goal. God, that you would increase and that you would help me to decrease. It's an uncomfortable prayer, but you ought to pray it. So as our prayer team takes their place in those prayer stations, what we're gonna do, I'll give you some quick instructions. We're gonna take just a moment and when I pray, I want you to step out of your seat. If you need prayer for any reason, come meet one of us at these places whatever it is, and it's private prayer, it's confidential. We don't go blabbing it to anybody else or telling them what's going on. We just wanna pray a prayer of agreement to say, you know what, I'm going to God with you. (laughs) I'm showing up in his office to say, I need you about this. Health, finance, relationship, big decision, whatever it might be. God, we declare in this house, Lord, I said it all this week, This is your house and you can do it your way. You can have whatever you want. You can have every part of me, every part of us. God, we're making it right today. 
Lord, I don't know what you've ministered to the heart of every person. Maybe this moment you're dealing with forgiveness in your heart. Maybe you're dealing with the conviction of you haven't prayed enough. Whatever it might be, I want you to just give yourself over to the Lord as the worship becomes a little louder and we praise him together. And as we pray, just do that and step out of your seat right now to come receive prayer. Lord, we've declared in this place. Lord, just like your word says, Jesus, when he went into the temple, he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. Lord, and we know that it's not just about the physicality or the building, but Lord, you've made your home inside of us. And our house, our heart is your house. And it shouldn't be cluttered with other stuff. Father, I pray that today as we've responded to this message and as your spirit has spoken to each one of us, I pray that today we would leave with hope filling us, that you want to talk to us, that we should stop to listen to you. And Lord, that we shouldn't just bring you a grocery list, but that we should truly honor you and you will take care of all of the rest. Lord, we thank you that you're such a good God. Somebody, let's give him praise today. Lord, you're so good to us. You're so good to us. Father, I bless these people as we go about our day and our week. Lord, that you would be the supreme master over every life that hears this message and has heard these words today. Let us live for you in faithful obedience. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here.